Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1039. Don't assume that even a quote-unquote failure in the professional world is actually a failure. It's a huge learning opportunity. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Carl Brower. Hey, Carl, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am ready to ride. All right. Carl Brower manages the content strategy and execution for Cox Automotive's media outlets, including Auto Trader and Kelly Blue Book. These are two of the most powerful brands in the auto space. Between them, they receive over 40 million unique visitors a month and influence over two-thirds of all vehicle transactions. By the way, Carl, you've influenced me too, so you're doing a good job. Carl regularly contributes editorial and analysis to Forbes.com, and he's been interviewed by or appeared on The New York Times, CNN, Good Morning America, CNBC, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and many others. So, Carl, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career and obvious passion for automobiles? Sure. Uh, happy to do it, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me on. First of all, it's a, it's a fun show. I've listened to you uh, many occasions and I enjoy uh, your work. Uh, Thank I you. Have, yeah, I, I've been in the industry for 25 years now. Uh, started out as the editorial assistant at Hot Rod Magazine, believe it or not. Oh, oh wow. Cool. Yeah, that was my first role here, uh, you know, way back in the Paleolithic era. Uh, but now <laughs> here we are in modern day and I've I've been able to really enjoy doing almost every aspect of publishing, from print publishing uh, in the 90s to digital publishing starting in the late 90s. And, of course, I had two older brothers who were major car geeks, so there was no escaping the car passion in my house. (laughs) No doubt, no doubt. Well, that's quite a background. I mean, going back to the iconic Hot Rod magazine, and I'll let our listeners know, Carl and I had a great talk before we started this show, and I realized that... uh, the offices area you're in are sitting near on hallowed ground, the old Orange County Raceway. I had no idea. I've been here for almost five years now at Kelly, and I've always known about Orange County Raceway, but I moved here in 94 from Denver, Colorado, where I grew up, and it was gone by then. And I just happened to be reading the history of it, and all of a sudden, I, I looked at the map that they showed where it used to be, and I realized I was sitting in my office at Kelly Blue Book right on top of where it used to be Orange County Raceway, which gave me kind of a weird feeling. It's like, wow, I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the reason the real estate uh, went up in value and they had, to, <laughs> they had to destroy it and put up offices. Oh, you know. So oh, well, you know, time marches on. I told uh, Carl in our pre-show chat when I was a kid, we used to drive from San Diego where I grew up up to Los Angeles or Disneyland, wherever, and we'd drive by the raceway and be surrounded by orange groves. And I would go, dad, dad, let's stop. There's the raceway. There's the raceway. So uh, yes, uh, great history, great memories, of course. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your career, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Carl, take the wheel. Yeah, you know, mine are all really cliched, and I and I, I hate that, although I always say that cliches don't materialize out of thin air. They typically come from somewhere. And uh, in this case, it's the, uh, you know, if you set your mind to something, you can accomplish anything. I look back at uh, my ability to work in this industry as a passionate car guy, but just another passionate car guy like millions out there. 
living in you know the middle of the country and ending up on the west coast working at uh, some really iconic brands and it was truly just a tenacity i didn't have any relatives in the industry i couldn't just pick up a phone and make a call and get an uh, automatic interview or uh, even an internship i had to really go from you know start from zero but a combination of luck and uh, timing landed me the job at hot rod magazine as the editorial assistant in 94 and uh, from there, I was able to make make it work. Very cool. Well, I've had Michael Harley, who you work with there. He just received a nice promotion as well. But Michael was a guest here on the show a while back, and I follow him as a Facebook friend and run into him. And yeah, you're surrounded by diehard car guys. He's definitely one of those guys for sure. Yeah, Mike's a great guy. He and I met years ago on a press event, and uh, we pretty much hit it off immediately just because we were both such passionate car guys, of course, and had a lot of the same philosophies and attitudes about the industry and just life in general. And, you know, we've been really good friends ever since. And uh, I feel like he's one of the guys who is really well known and respected in the industry. And he's got a great history himself with JD Power and Autoblog and Auto by Tell. He's got, you know, a pretty good pedigree to say the least. And when we got him here at Kelly a couple of years ago, I was happy. And uh, now he's our executive editor uh, leading the Kelly brand specifically. And I'm thrilled. Yeah. Kudos to Mike. Uh, Awesome job. Awesome job. Well, would you share a story with us that instigated your personal passion for cars? Tell us about that pitiful moment in your life when you knew you were a car guy? Well, you know, the movie American Graffiti had uh, a outsized uh, influence on me growing up. I watched it multiple times long before I had my license. And I also had older brothers who were into cars, as I said. So that, that was kind of the general background I was growing up in. But I always remember getting a 69 Plymouth GTX that my dad, for some reason that I can't imagine as a parent these days, allowed to, allowed me to buy and helped me purchase <laughs> when I still had uh, just a permit. I was 15 and six months old and uh, I saw, spotted this car at a dealership and I was instantly, you know, in love with it. And I talked to him and he helped loan me the money and we test drove it and it drove kind of, you know, fine. And then within minutes of getting it home, my brothers drove it. They were both really mechanically talented and said, this thing's not as fast as it wants to be. Something's wrong. And they tweaked with the distributor and the carburetor in a matter of like 45 minutes. And it was considerably faster when they got done because it just, it just wasn't tuned properly. It had all the great hardware headers and a Edelbrock manifold and high compression, a hot cam, but the t- carbon and the electronics were off. And so they fixed those. It was considerably faster. And uh, about a week later, my brother was driving it, and I was in the passenger seat. We were out on West Colfax, which looked a lot like the American graffiti scenes in West uh, in West Denver there, as far as the cruising going on on a weekend night. He proceeded to um, put down a, a 55 Chevy with a Harwood hood scoop, and I was in the passenger seat just watching this whole thing, and that was it. It was all <laughs> over at that point. Oh, my gosh. How fun. American Graffiti, what a great movie. Now, which of those characters did you best identify with? If I recall, there's there's Bob, who was Harrison Ford, the cool guy. There was Steve, Ron Howard, who was kind of a little dorky, but, you know, the nice guy. And and John, who was Paul, the, the drag racer. And Kurt, who I think Richard Dreyfuss played. I mean, which one of those characters do you identify with? I was all about John Milner. I was all about yeah. John Milner. You know, he was the fastest car in the Valley. And, uh, you know, he was this aging guy, you know, the movie just so effectively captures kind of the struggles of transitioning from youth to adulthood. And, you know, he's this aging guy and he's got the younger guy coming up against him and he's not sure if he's actually still fast enough to beat him. Really just a well done movie. And, uh, you know, always felt like, uh, George Lucas captured all of those kind of keystone points in life and that transitional period really well in that movie. 
Yeah, a lot of people in that movie that went on to be superstars in the movie industry, too. They were, you know, just nobodies back then as far as on the big screen. So very cool. I love it. American Graffiti. Well, let's take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure you faced along the way in your career or your life or whatever it might be. But of course, the most important part of these situations has to do with what they teach us. So tell us about that unique experience and how it helped you gain even more positive momentum moving forward in your career, your business, your life. Uh, I worked at Edmunds.com for 13 years, and then I uh, had an idea for a car consumer automotive shopping site that I thought really seemed logical that related to just essentially combining a lot of the assessment scores from across the industry into a single score. So kind of like Rotten Tomatoes for cars or Kayak, you know, for cars. Mm -hmm. Put a lot of my heart and soul and uh, a fair chunk of my uh, personal wealth into that uh, effort. And I worked with some a uh, couple of key people in the industry who uh, worked with me on it. And it was making some progress and really doing pretty well. But, you know, it was during the recession, so it was hard to get any additional funding or interest in it. And then one of the one of the three of us that was a key player there uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and oh, was gone no. seven weeks later. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of an abrupt uh, ending to something that was what we were working pretty hard on. And I remember feeling, you know, like, oh gosh, you know, now I'm the person who tried something and it didn't work and who knows how that's going to badge me going forward and stuff. What I realized within weeks of all of that kind of happening and getting serious about trying to find another uh, way to you know, make a living was that actually most CEOs and leaders of businesses value people with entrepreneurial spirit and who have gone out and done something like that, regardless of the result. Because when you've gone and done something like that, first, it shows a real willingness to invest and work hard at something that everyone knows is, takes a lot of work and to take a risk. And it also shows a real creativity and some innovation in trying to come up with a new idea. That was seen as an asset, not a demerit by the people that I started talking to about working somewhere. And I had three opportunities within a very short time, and I had to pick between three good ones to uh, to come to Kelly. And I'm really glad I did. I've never regretted it for a second. It's a great company. But what I learned was don't assume that even a quote-unquote failure in the professional world is actually a failure. It's a huge learning opportunity. I mean, I know so much more than I did you know, two weeks before I started that process versus the two weeks when I was done with it, my, you know, it was a very powerful education. And it actually added to my pedigree and uh, my skill sets in a way that is appreciated by future employers. Yeah, I'm so glad you shared that story because it's incredibly important. So many people look at very successful business people and they don't realize there were a massive number of train derailments and challenges and failures and losses behind all that because that's all forgotten. They're only looking at where they are today. You take Elon Musk and you go, man, everything the guy touches is golden. Well, go back and look at his history. Not really. It's all fraught with challenge and he's had some that have completely blown up in his face. I think there was a rocket that literally did that, uh, but they went on and continued to persevere. So, and it's the same for individuals. So I appreciate you taking us to a, a challenging time, but sharing a very positive perspective and why it can be so positive moving forward. And I'm glad to hear that CEOs and business owners value that because there wasn't long ago where people would say, well, I don't like entrepreneurs because they're too free thinking. They want people to just come in and are controlled and will do exactly what they tell them. But great leaders don't like people like that. I mean, I know there's some needed, maybe on a production line or something like that, but not managers, not leaders. They like people that are brave and bold. 
There, you're right, Mark. And there's, and I like your statement about, you know, really understanding people's history before their success. You know, the, the joke about the Beatles is, you know, an overnight success five years in the making. You know, I mean, those guys were playing together, grinding it out in underground music venues for years, getting their sound yes. down before they all of a yeah. sudden were the biggest thing in the world. And everyone was like, <laughs> these guys came out of nowhere. It's like, well, not really, if you know their history. That's exactly yeah. right. Very few people are true overnight uh, success stories. They're usually just overnight um, witnessed or spotted success stories that have been in the making for years. I think Willie Nelson was quoted once saying, I was an overnight success. It only took 20 years of being working overnight in stinky honky tonk bars before I became a success. So precisely. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when those headlights kind of illuminate a new path, a new direction for you. Tell us about one of yours. Well, I, I can tell you about what started me into this industry, which is interesting in that I was, you know, growing up in Golden, Colorado, outside Denver, and I was always a car person, and I always was uh, really enjoyed writing, photographing uh, things, and I enjoyed kind of studying history. I never put those things together as an automotive journalist, and I would read Car and Driver and Motor Trend and all these big buff books, and I would think to myself on occasion, boy, that must be rough work when I'd see the bylines, and then I'd go on with my life, like probably most people do. And then my brother walked in one day with a uh, Carcraft magazine, and there was an editorial by a gentleman named Chuck Shipsky, which you may know is still in the industry. He's one of the head PR guys over at uh, Honda Acura. He'd written a, an editorial saying, we're looking for someone to fill a role here. And he started describing this person. If you know which end of a camera's up, and you can string words together well, and you've got <laughs> passion in your blood for cars, and uh, you uh, would, would enjoy working with us here on, on vintage you know, American hot rods and muscle cars. I always joke that if someone had been watching me, they probably would have seen at least a ghost image of a light bulb above my head. You know, I, <laughs> yes. I, well, wait a second here, you know. And That's so, me! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really, uh, it was really amazing. It never occurred to me. And then kind of once that happened, and the tenacity, you know, just bit, and that's when I started trying to get from, you know, Golden, Colorado to uh, Los Angeles, where all these uh, car magazines were. And I was fortunate, I had a contact that I'd previously established through a completely different effort, where I'd written a book, I'd written a fiction novel about cars, and I was thinking of publishing it through Hot Rod, which established a contact at Hot Rod who I then called and said, hey, there's this thing. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apply and use me as a reference. And don't just send it to HR. Do attention this person who I know in HR. Boom. So again, two disparate efforts. One, my brother or disparate situations. One, my brother handing me a magazine out of blue with an editorial. And the other, a month's earlier effort to consider publishing a novel about cars and they came together with a contact at a hot rod that I had to just start talking to on a regular basis. And uh, within months, I'd gotten the editorial assistant role there. Boom. Nice. <laughs> great story. A uh, great takeaway from that I, I hear is create contacts and stay in touch with contacts because these people down the road uh, can be valuable assets to help you or guide you, direct you to the right path and where you want to go. So awesome story. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car. Now, you already shared that first car that you got, your dad helped you get when you were just 15 and a half. But is there a, a first car that was really, really special for you? Maybe something you saved up for, something you always wanted or lusted over? I had a 69 Plymouth GTX. That was the first one I described. And I really liked that car. But I really always wanted a 70 model because I liked those even better. I liked the air grabber hood that year that actually had a vacuum unit that moved the center of the hood scoop up and down at the flip of a switch. And I just thought the styling was so clean. I liked the Superbird, which was kind of the ultimate roadrunner of that era. It had the same body style that year. 
And I found one in um, Johnstown, Colorado, which is a suburb of Greeley, which Greeley is like a small little town, you know, or a relatively small town outside of Denver. I just couldn't really afford it at the time. It was a two-owner car in pretty much mint condition. And uh, I couldn't afford all the all of um, $4,500 that the guy was asking in 1985 for the car, in 1986 for the car. And I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. But I was able to, again, get creative with some financing and, and some help through a credit union. I'd established some credit, thankfully, and was able to go up uh, and just scrape to get money together to get it. Yeah. And I just still remember driving away from that guy's place. And every car I'd had, and most of the cars my brothers had had, had all been you know, kind of through the ringer before we got them. You know, we just didn't spend a lot of money on cars. We picked things up out of at various states of condition. This thing was like a show car. And uh, it was a two-owner car, 84,000 original miles. It had never, most of, most of it was 100% original. I think it had one repaint, but everything else was all original in it. And I just remember driving it down I-25 on those plains of uh, uh, north of Denver and just being like, oh my gosh, I'm driving like essentially one of my dream cars right now. And I'll, I'll never forget that moment. Yeah. <laughs> what color was it? It was burnt orange, FK5, triple FK5. So that's a burnt orange interior, burnt orange exterior, and burnt orange roof, which was actually pretty rare. That color was not super rare. You'd see a lot of Challengers and Cudas and other cars painted that color exterior-wise. The interior matching it was made it much more rare. And then not having a vinyl roof of any type, but having the roof that color too. And then it was an air grabber car with uh, the, the track pack. So not the highest rate, but the mid mid one. So it had the 355 sure grip uh, rear end and the bigger radiator and all. Those wheel, those cool like magnesium 500 wheels, I remember those. Did it have mm-hmm. those on it? It actually had the 14 and a half inch rally wheels. But then I had a friend who had uh, access to, had a set of uh, like NOS 15 by 7 rallies. And so I was able to throw throw some money in, give my old, my other set of wheels with some money, and get those fifteen by sevens mounted on the car, and that really enhanced its look. That's an awesome color too. Fantastic. How about sellers remorse? Is there a a tear in your eye somewhere for a car that you really wish you had back in your garage? Well, you know, the car that ultimately replaced that car. I mean, that car I had for twenty six, no, twenty four years. I had that car from eighty six to two thousand and ten. And I was in my high school and the whole thing. But the car that psychologically replaced it really pushed it out of my my heart a little bit was a 70 Dodge Challenger RTSE, plum crazy, purple, 100% original, 440 AC, rear defrost, uh, AM, FM, a highly loaded car that was originally ordered by a Chrysler executive like uh, rep in the middle of the country. One owner car, 100% original when I got it. So I got that car and... 2005, I think. And I had it until 2013. But when I got the job at Kelly, I had to move and I didn't want to lose the house that we had up in the Ventura County. So the only way to do that was to get rid of some stuff, including that plum crazy challenger. And I wish I hadn't had to sell it. I still, you know, that car was just beautiful and it drove really well and it was all original. Um, So that was probably, that's probably one of the few cars I've bought and sold a lot of cars. And most of the time, even my GTX that I had for so long, it's like, you know, Life moved on. I moved on. I was ready. Da, da, da. That one was not sold for emotional reasons. It was sold for, you know, or a lack of, of, of emotion for the car. It was sold for purely financial reasons. And I really wish I hadn't had to sell it. understand. Plum Crazy. One of the great names in a classic 70s cars, 80 cars. Oh, I love it. Very cool. Well, let's talk about what has you currently excited and fired up there at Auto Trader Kelly Blue Book. What are some of the things you'd like to share with the listeners that are going on there, things they can look forward to in the future? You know, the world is transforming. We're becoming far more uh, digitally oriented in our purchases. Anyone who's used Amazon uh, pretty much knows that. This process is extended to most 
buying, you know, verticals, whether it's real estate with Zillow and shoes and all these other things. And it's really time for it to permeate the automotive industry. And this doesn't mean dealers aren't involved, but it just means that a lot more of the process can happen outside the dealership. And then the dealer becomes the final delivery uh, place. And we're leading a lot of that here. We've got this slow but sure assembly of what we're calling the digital retailing experience. And of course, Cox Automotive, which not only has AutoTrader and Kelly, but Mannheim, the giant auction house, and all these other businesses that sit under the Cox Automotive umbrella. And when you look at them all and you look at the process of buying a car, this company is really well you know, positioned to take care of every one of those steps of the process. And uh, we're already a big chunk of the way down that road of making it easier and easier for consumers to arrange the financing from home, see the car from home, negotiate the price from home, get rid of their uh, existing car and trade and find either a trade-in or even a, a dealer that will buy it outright from them through our instant cash offer system. We have uh, rapidly been creating these systems for doing all of these things that used to have to happen on a dealer lot or driving around to multiple dealer lots can now happen from the comfort of your uh, home or office. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. You know, you look at, uh, let's say, um, Costco's uh, auto buying program and how easy they've made that happen. And a good friend of mine runs that program, a guy I went to high school with. And then, like, my next-door neighbor just bought his wife a new Audi. And the local, he didn't like the local dealership here. He just didn't like the vibe that it gave off. And they didn't have the car that he wanted. They're trying to sell him the car he doesn't want. No, I want this car with these options. And he came home and I said, well, let's just jump online and find you a car. And he did. It was in the Midwest and did the deal over the phone. And about five days later, the car rolls up in front of his house. They take away his old car and done. And he said, that was like the easiest thing I've ever done. And he felt like he got a good price because he shopped around and kind of looked at things. So, yeah, and he's an older guy like me, you know, so someone you think, oh, maybe isn't into all that technology stuff, got to walk around and kick a tire. But no, you don't have to. And, you know, you and I know that the consumer, especially the car guy like you and I, is so much more knowledgeable now before he even walks onto a lot, if he even has to. He knows exactly what he wants. So it's really cool. I, I like what's going on with all this. It just opens up so many opportunities for in so many ways. Yeah, it really does. And it's like you say, knowledge is power in any situation. And so if you can go into the car buying process with the value of your current car accurately provided and financing options accurately provided and a real sense of what the market is for the new car or the used car that you're about to purchase, if you've got all that information before you ever contact your first dealer, uh, and then you can even contact multiple dealers through uh, one of our systems, it starts to become very straightforward and feel, again, a lot like buying something on Amazon and a lot less like, you know, kind of using a arguably archaic process like you just described where you've got to figure out where the car is, figure out which one you want to go look at, you know, in person, drive around multiple places and, and then deal with multiple people at one dealership. You know, it's just a right. lot easier. And I think even the, the great dealerships are realizing this too, and they're starting to offer options for buyers so that when they come in, they don't have that usual experience. They sit down with them and say, well, what exactly do you want? And if you're picky like you and I or a car guy, like any of the cars, your audience, they won't try to sell you what you don't want. They'll sit down and find the car that's right for you, wherever it might be in the country and get it there for you and work with you that way so that they're not just uh, twisting your arm. Because we all have that feeling in our past when we walked off of a, a lot, which what should have been the most exciting, fun day in, in our lives. We just bought a new car feeling like, I think I just kind of got screwed over a little bit there. I just doesn't feel so good. 
Plus, it just eats up a massive amount of time to buy a car. It's like a four or five hour ordeal. Why is it that long? So I love all these services you guys are providing. And I mentioned in the beginning, you guys have influenced me too. I use your services. I've gone and looked for people, things, people that aren't car people that come to me and say, hey, help me. I've got to sell my dad's car, my mom's car. I've got to buy a car. What should I do? How do I know what my car is worth? Well, here, uh, go onto these websites. This is where you can find everything out. So you guys are doing an awesome job. We appreciate that. Here's a very introspective question for you, Carl. If you were a vehicle, what kind of car would Carl be and why? Well, it's a great question, uh, Mark, because I've definitely got my interest in cars has widened dramatically since I was, you know, such a muscle car guy in my uh, in my teen years. And I have, you know, uh, a 2005 Ford GT, which is a pretty uh, advanced uh, per- performance car with a, you know, with an exotic sports car heritage and capabilities versus just a, a straight line machine. But then, of course, I recently bought a Dodge Demon, so I was turning, <laughs> turning to my roots, you know? Monster that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That car came out, and I just was like, wow, it's like 15-year-old Carl's dream car is being made you know, right now. And I mean, it's just this car that's ready to go to a drag strip and tear it up without any need for really anything else right from the showroom floor. I would probably say that, me personally, I would probably be something like a modern Dodge Challenger, which, you know, is a fairly straightforward car in that it's it's primarily a an American muscle car. It's not the most nimble, sophisticated car. Though shockingly, if you get like the TA version and all, it's surprising how well everyone who I know who's actually driven one of those uh one of the challengers aggressively has been surprised that it weighs as much as it weighs and it's as big as it is and it still kind of goes around corners pretty well. But then it's it makes all these great noises. It looks fabulous and it's extremely fun in a straight line. And it's just this iconic timeless uh, design. So that probably is the closest thing that I'd say my spirit of, uh, of uh, a vehicle. Very cool. I know uh, a past guest, uh, Alan Taylor, who I'm sure you know of him, I believe has one of those cars as well as demons. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They're just uh incredible, incredible car. So ah, very, very cool. Well, Carl, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, this is Mark Green. You know, I've been using Covercraft covers to protect my cars and motorcycles since I was in high school. That was way back in 1975. This month, I'm offering you, as a Cars Yow listener, a very special deal. Starting April 16th, 2018 through April 30th, 2018, you'll receive 10% off all NOAA Fabric custom car covers and 10% off all Wolf ReadyFit semi-custom covers. Simply use the code CARSYAP on checkout at Covercraft.com. Know is the most popular outdoor fabric specially made by Kimberly Clark to protect your special vehicle. It provides maximum protection from the harmful UV rays of the sun, rain, dust, those nasty bird droppings, snow, dings, and it's breathable, and it's very soft on your paint. Wolf ReadyFit semi-custom covers are an economical option and provide indoor and outdoor protection for your special car. Simply go to Covercraft.com and order the style and color you like best, and boom, you're set. You'll thank me later, and your car will thank me too. That's Covercraft.com, and be sure to use the code CARSYEAH at checkout. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design, 
and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. All right, Carl, we're back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the demon throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I would say know what you want before you ever start shopping and have a solid idea. People tend to kind of be all over the place and not really know what they either really want or really need. And that's what leads to buyer's remorse. So I'd say being honest with yourself about what you want and what you need is the best thing you can do. Oh, absolutely. The other one I've heard is don't buy a car for someone else. Buy it for yourself. Don't buy it because others think it's cool or, yeah, find out what you really want. And there's so many ways to do that these days, including your resources. Uh, Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Uh, You know, we talked earlier about relationships and I think you know, we always say, people I know in this industry say this industry is built on relationships, but I think you could almost say every industry is built on relationships. It's it's a rare industry where relationships don't matter. So I think my personal habit of just trying to be the person that others can count on and willing to talk to anyone, work with anyone and, you know, maintain long, long-term relationships with people, remember the people that have helped me and try to help other people it's a relationship industry, and I think that's a habit that people should get into if they want to be successful is, is to understand that. I kind of think I know how you're going to answer this next one. We always ask my guests about great resources for car people. Uh, what are yours? I think a resource that provides solid information that you can trust. And the Kelly Blue Book brand has been around for over 90 years. They are really one of the most trusted brands out there, uh, not just in the automotive industry, but just in the in the world. Uh, all of our research and surveys have done that, and we work hard to maintain and continue to earn that. So I think I think finding a trusted resource like a Kelly Blue Book to help you through the process of knowing your current car's value and how to find the best value for a car you're about to buy is is a great way to go. Absolutely, I've used it many times, and I'll age myself a little bit. Back when I was in High school, I remember having a little blue book in my glove box of my 67 Karma Gia that whenever I'd see a cool car, I'd pull over and pull that Kelly blue book out and look up, what's the value? How much would that cost? Can I afford that? Nope, I can't. Anyway, <laughs> move on. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, I remember having that little blue book. Uh, I had many, many of those. They were like, they're so cool when the new one came out so that I could have instant access to knowledge, which now, of course... I got this little thing called a mobile phone that I can just tap into your guys' app and go, ah, now I have even more knowledge. So uh, things have changed, but they remain the same in many ways. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that individual be? That's a really good question. You know, I think it would actually be Ken Miles. Uh, He was an important part of uh, racing history, specifically Ford's racing history. 
he was an extremely talented guy. He really should have gotten the uh, triple crown in uh, 1966 by winning uh, the uh, Rolex 24 hours, the Sebring 12 hours of Sebring and the 24 hour of Daytona, but, or sorry, 24 hour Le Mans, but he was denied that because of the way Ford arranged the uh, three simultaneous uh, crossing of the finish line for the GT forties for a a photo opportunity. And I can't blame Ford for that because it was very effective and it's, certainly been gone down in history and that image is burned in everyone's brain, but it did cost miles a deserved win. Uh, Ken miles didn't get that. And I would like to talk to him about that. And also just his general uh, philosophy of racing, because he was incredibly talented and capable. Yeah, I'm, he really was. And he's one of those people that diehard car people know about, but other people, his name kind of fluttered out there a little bit, but I think he, he passed away in a, a Ford J prototype car back in the mid sixties, I believe, if it was, and tragic ending. But there's a car that always comes to mind when you say the name Ken Miles, and that was the '54 uh, MG R2 Flying Shingle, and it was such a cool, unique car. And, and it's been on the lawn at Pebble, and it's been around. And it was owned by a gentleman named Pat Hart, who lived up in the Pacific Northwest. And I got to play around that car, sit in that car, photograph that car, spend a day with that car. And then it was also brought out to the track up here back when I was racing vintage cars here at Pacific Raceway. And I always think of Ken when I look at that car because he was just one of those guys that tried different things. And you mentioned the Ford involvement as well. I mean, just got out there and tried different things and was such a great driver. So ah, that would be awesome. Very, very nice. Well, and, and, and you had a, you know, the question's a great question. And it was tough for me because a lot of the people who I would say, I've been fortunate enough to have the drink with, you know, I've, yeah, I've hung yeah. out, I've hung out with Dan Gurney and I've talked to Bob Lutz and I've talked to Lee Iacocca and I've talked to a lot of these really icons of the industry, Carol Shelby, Bob Bondrett, um, Phil Hill. But I, there was no way, you know, I was born year, three years after Ken died. So it would, and, and he would have been, and I think you know this too, Mark, he would have been another Gurney in the history of racing had that not happened, oh, yeah. had he not died. He'd have been another one of these iconic guys that everyone would have known and looked up to for decades. And Definitely. so just to talk to him would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy reading as well? You know, <laughs> this is an oldie, and, but believe it or not, I read it twice. It really resonated with me as a teenage car guy. Uh, even though it's a somewhat dark book, and that's uh, Stephen King's Christine. And you know the movie, the movie <laughs> yeah. is out, and the movie's worth watching. It was relatively well done by John Carpenter, but the book, like most books, has whole other dimensions that we're not capable of covering in a two-hour movie. And I think if you're a car guy of any age, but certainly a young one, but really of any age, if you haven't read the book Christine, you should. Yeah, definitely, very cool. The local LeMay Museum here has a Christine quote-unquote car. I don't think it was a. Not sure if it was a movie car or not, but it's just like that car, and they always have some fun with that car, especially around Halloween with their displays <laughs> and so forth. But uh, yeah, that was a cool one. You know what? I need to figure out if that's on an audiobook because I'd love to. I've been listening to more and more audiobooks when I'm working out in the garage or around the, the house. I just finished uh, re-listening to Garstein's The Art of Racing in the Rain, uh, which is the most recommended book here on Cars. Yeah, but Christine is a cool one, too. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Carl's been so kind to share on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Carl with a K, Brower, B-R-A-U-E-R, and that page will pop right up. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, Carl, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world. 
But you can only have that car. You got to get rid of your other collected cars. You can keep your demon, your daily drivers. And uh, you got to drive this thing and you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. So what's it going to be? That is a great question. I've asked myself and others that before. And it's funny because if you can sell it, my thing is always something like, well, I'd get like a Ferrari GTO because I, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. just cause I love it. And, and buy a hundred cars. <laughs> right. I'd take it to one vintage race and then I'd get like some really nice houses and like 25 other cars I love with the yeah. money after I sell it. But if, but if you can't do that, what is it? And uh, for me, the answer actually comes up pretty quick and easy for me. And it's a uh, 19, well, I guess they made them a couple of years, but it's a mid nineties McLaren F1. Uh, wow. That, that is my dream car. If I'm not allowed to sell it and I get to drive it on a regular basis, uh, just, uh-uh. just an amazing car. So far ahead of its time, and I'm such a yeah. fan of mid-engine designs. So, yeah, that's the car. No doubt. Yeah, very, very cool car. I've had to buy a few of those cars for people. They're not cheap, Carl. You've got to, you're going to make things oh tough gosh. on me today. Oh, my they gosh, is right. Going up in, they just keep going up in value, you know. I, mean, I know. I don't think it's I crazy. I afforded one at the bottom of their, of their uh, depreciation curve, which never went very far down. But now no, it's just, no. they're out, they're out yeah. of control. Yeah, out of control. What color, just to play fantasy here, what color would you like? You know, ironically, believe it or not, and I'm not generally a big fan of silver, but there are certain cars that silver looks good on. The BMW Z8 is a big one for me for, that I, I think yeah. looks fabulous in silver, and a McLaren F1 in silver would be fine with me. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Carl, you've taken us on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Car Show listeners. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the... California Coast Highway in that McLaren F1. You know, I would just reiterate that, um, like a lot of industries, there's plenty of people who want to work in the car industry, and there's not as many spots as there are, or many seats at the table as there are people who'd like to sit at the table. But if you are a passionate car guy and you're willing to put the time and energy into education, educating yourself, having some talents, whether they be photo- photographic or written uh, or, or you know, just historic knowledge preferably all three, plus a knowledge of how the world's working today in the digital in the digital world, uh, you could very likely end up doing something in this industry if you aren't already. Yeah, you could even be a podcaster like that guy in cars. Yeah, I mean, goodness sake, you can do anything. <laughs> if, if, I, if I can figure it out, anybody can figure it out. So, uh, great. Very well said. Very well said. I know I've had now, including you, 1,039 guests who've proved that. There are lots of places at the table in the automotive world for those of you who are a passion and uh, love to be inspiring automotive enthusiasts, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your company? They can certainly always go to kbb.com. They can also go to my Forbes page. I put up articles on Forbes on a semi-regular basis. Just did one earlier this week on Drive Toward a Cure about uh, fighting Parkinson's disease. Oh, yeah. Charity great, drive great program. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you go, if you just type in Carl Brower with a K, Carl with a K Brower, and it, I think my Forbes page comes right up. So does my LinkedIn page, and so does the pages for Kelly Blue Book. So you can jump on any of those. Even I actually have a website called carlbrower.com. I did buy that URL and have it. And that's got some history of me as well and some stuff about my 4GT, a lot of my 4GT information uh, on there, carlbrower.com. So any of those, if someone wanted to learn more or just uh, see more of the stuff I've, I've uh, been keeping my time uh, occupied with over the past 25 years. There you go. Well, listeners, you can find all these cool links on Carl's show notes page at the Cars yeah website. Just type Carl into the search bar, K-A-R-L. That page will pop up. And, of course, Drive Towards the Cure, uh, awesome program. So glad you got to participate in that. I've been helping them to promote that event as well. There's plenty of opportunities in the future. So check out 
the Karja website for that as well. Carl, thanks for being so generous with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Karja listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. Take care. You're welcome. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.